All my life, um, my adult life that is, I've wanted to be in a church where we truly are open to God speaking to us and when he does speak to us we are able to respond to him. Uh, My church background is originally, I didn't come from a church like that, Um, everything was pretty much stated as it was, Um, I don't remember anybody ever interrupting anything or even changing anything for that matter, to change things you had to have church meetings and you had to vote. I was in one particular meeting when, oh it doesn't matter, anyway so (laughs) it was a bit different world to the world we live in now and my passion has always, always been that if we see something in the word of God because it's there and we're his people we're able to respond to it and nobody says oh but hang on a minute we can't do that because our tradition doesn't allow us to do so and so I particularly love the fact that that I'm part of a church that when God speaks to us prophetically that we we listen to what he has to say and respond to it are you glad to be in a church like that because when God does speak It becomes a shift in terms of not what he's saying, but what we are doing as a result of what he's saying. So if God says something to us, either through his word or through prophecy, and the Bible is very clear that prophecy is a wonderful gift from God that we are to, above all gifts, seek. So when God speaks to us prophetically through a number of people, I love the fact that we can say, okay, Um, we can't just move on from here. God is speaking to us corporately and as individuals and therefore we need to put tools down and we need to spend some time listening. So the elders of the church, we decided that having heard several of these prophetic words that we couldn't just go on with what we'd planned but we said, right, we're not going to do the series of teaching we're going to do. We're going to do a series of teaching responding to what we believe God is saying to us through these uh, prophecies. And uh, responding to prophetic words from God is absolutely key. If we believe there's a God who created the universe and he speaks to us, I think we're supposed to listen. And not only listen, but take time out to respond. So the reason I'm taking a bit of time on this is in the midst of this new series, which we've entitled Move, it took us about... 15 hours to come up with that particular word. Uh, The word move is a kind of response to what we believe God is saying. We can't stay the same, we need to move. We need to move as a church towards God's prophetic word and we need to move as individuals so that we can fulfill God's calling as well. When prophecies come, when God speaks, you need to weigh them. And we've been weighing them and we've come to the conclusion that now is the time to respond. So a couple of weeks ago, James spoke here on the vision of what that might entail. Last week, John was speaking here about the soil that we need to be in, excuse me, in order to respond to God when he speaks to us. And very quickly, I mentioned just three things. First of all, it seems that God has been speaking to us and saying to us, you need to get ready to multiply. You need to go through a time of preparation for multiplication. 
And we don't know exactly what that means, but as James was sharing the other week, it could mean new venues. This is one of four meetings we have on Sundays. It could be new church plants that come out of us to wherever God leads us. And it certainly <clears throat> means that God is going to say we're going to grow. So the vision for this six o'clock meeting is that it doesn't stay as it is, but it grows and multiplies. And I've never been very good at maths, but multiplication and growth, I think, are supposed to go together. Is that too deep for you on a Sunday evening? So we're going to multiply. It means we need to get ready for growth. The second thing is that God spoke to us about this tent that was like a canopy that was... It's a bit weird, isn't it? But it was expanding and growing. And in Isaiah 60, uh, 54, it says to us we're to lengthen the cords and strengthen the stakes because God's going to give us a lot of multiplication. <clears throat> so God then starts to speak to us about the fact that he's going to give us this tremendous growth. And so <clears throat> the canopy multiplies. It grows. I don't like camping very much. Um, but I've done quite a lot of it over the years. And um, what I do know is this, that if you are going to see something grow and expand, then the tent pegs are really, really important. God said to us, you're the tent pegs, you individual people. And so God is going to reposition some of us and is going to cause us to expand. Um, and then... It's important, next thing that God said, is that this, this is put into good soil. And as John was talking last week, sadly, some of us can find ourselves in, in not-so-good soil for different reasons. And it's just hard for something to have life and health if we're not in good soil. Good soil is important. God wants us to move into good soil. We'll mention that again in a moment. And then God said, thirdly, that we were like storehouses. <clears throat> storehouses in all of our meetings are to be where we gather and harvest everything in because we're going to feed a multitude of people that don't know him. So there are other things as well, but those are basic broad brushstrokes. And when God speaks to us about these things, we really need to stop and take note of them. When prophecy comes, when God speaks, what happens next? Do we wait? Do we put our hands in our pockets and say to ourselves, well, if God's spoken and he's sovereign, then we'll just, I guess, wait to see what he does. The only problem with that, there's no example in scripture of that whatsoever. Every example in scripture is when God speaks, people make moves. People do things as a result. They don't go passive. They move into action. They begin to do things. The same is true of all the promises that God has ever made in his word. Every promise in God's word that's ever been fulfilled, somehow in God's sovereignty, it's been through human beings like you and me who've heard the promises and then said, okay, I'm going to move towards them. And whenever God speaks to us through promises or through prophecy, it's ever so important that we don't take a passive stance just sitting around waiting because we're good reformed theologians and we know God's sovereign and he does these things. We are good reformed theologians, please, it's important. But it doesn't stop you being fatalistic. It doesn't mean that you just go, well, whatever, whatever. 
It means that something inside of you yearns to be part of the fulfillment of what God is saying, which means that we make moves. So I've entitled, this is my little contribution to this series, I've entitled this word tonight, It's Time to Make a Move. I felt God say to me that some of us, I would include myself in this as well, go through periods of time when we just feel stuck. It's kind of like we're in a spiritual rut. We're not sinning, we're not backsliding, but there's just nothing happening. And it's like this year feels very much like last year, which incidentally felt very much like the year before. There have been times in my life that if you'd stopped me and said, David, what's God doing in your life? I'd have to say, not a lot. Feels that just, I just feel stuck. I just feel I'm in this situation. I'm neither moving forward or moving backwards. I'm, I'm just here. And I think it's important for us to know as Christians, this just happens. It just happens. Sometimes you watch people who become Christians and the first year or two, they just run. <clears throat> They're just going for God. And they love God and they love the gospel and their lives have been changed and they've been powerfully encountering God in a, in a new way and then things start to not go so well and they hit issues. And suddenly the gospel seems very familiar and it, Jesus doesn't seem so exciting as he used to and that speed slows down and they just kind of they kind of get stuck. And sadly, some of them fall away and some of them just hang on in there and some of them go through something and come out the other end much better for it. Or it's true for those of us who've been Christians for many, many years. It just happens. We just find ourselves in a situation. I love the fact that God speaks to us in these situations. He reminds us of truth. He prophesies over us. It's kind of like, wake up. And suddenly we wake up and we hear the voice of the Lord again. And then what are we going to do? I believe that it's God's will that some of us who feel stuck start to make some moves. And this is the key for us to responding to God. Now I have a theological question. And the theological question is a very simple one, but it's quite profound. And it's at the heart of how we respond to God in this series. And basically, it's this question, who moves first? Does God always move first? Or do we move and somehow through our moving, we kickstart things <clears throat> that then God does? Now, because we're a theologically-minded congregation, I know you all know the answer, and the answer is both. Well done, if that's your answer. Who moves first, God or you? Well, the answer is both. <clears throat> so when it comes to something like, for example, salvation, you know you didn't save yourself. You know you didn't make the first move. God did. God initiates your salvation. While we were still dead in our sins, the Bible says, God made us alive in Christ. You didn't do that. He did that. Who made the first move to cause you to be born again? God did. No doubt about it. You and I wouldn't be sitting here tonight if it wasn't for God making the first move. So the answer is God. Trouble is, 
even in that moment of salvation whereby we're going, I don't deserve this, this is amazing, this is God, it's fantastic that he's done this, we understand that he requires us to make a move even then. I'm making an argument here, okay, just stay with me, because we're going to look at illustrations that bear this out. That again and again, when God speaks, you and I have to do something about it and not be passive and move. So even at this moment of salvation, God says, do you believe? And so we make a move. And the move is, yes, Lord, I take a step of faith and I believe. You know, you can go through every alpha course that's ever been created in all the world. There has to come a moment when you make a decision and you move. It doesn't save you. You're responding to the initiation of salvation. And also, we're required to repent, to turn away from our past life, to follow Jesus in baptism. We're making moves. One of the things that we're doing at this point is we're repenting of our sin. God doesn't do that. He doesn't have any sin to repent of. So who makes the move of repentance? You do. So... Even at the most obvious moment and illustration of who makes the first move, God or you, and it's obviously God, even there, tucked in, God's wonderful way is this, that he doesn't just do things for us. He does glorious things and then waits for a response. Now, I don't want you to get all tied up in this. I just want you to know that this is the heart of God for us. And throughout your rest of your life, if you follow Jesus, you will experience time and time and time again when God in his mercy and grace initiates things that you don't deserve. It's just great being a Christian. How did that happen? The grace of God. How did that happen? God's mercy. How did that happen? God just sovereignly blessed me when I didn't deserve it. And your life will be full of that. God makes moves. God breaks in your life. You think, was I seeing you very spiritual? Had I fasted for for months on end and therefore God did it? No. He just did it. Because he's a father who lavishes gifts upon his children even when we're not watching, even when we're not praying. He does it anyway. Two rows at the front are getting vaguely excited. (laughs) This is our God. This is what he's like. It's in his very character. He can't resist. He doesn't meagerly give out things because we deserve it and we've been good recently. It's nonsense. He just does it because he does it because he does it. But I believe it's only half the story. And there's a sense in which God can only do so much and then he waits for our response. Will we move? Will we take a step of faith? Will we move towards him? And if we do not, this is the burden of my heart tonight, I think we stay the same. I think we can beg and shout and blame God and blame other people, but essentially we're going to stay the same until we make a move. Until we respond in our hearts, we will stay feeling like we are in a rut. What I'm saying is lots of Christians are in ruts that they don't have to be in. Lots of Christians are stuck, but you don't have to stay there. There are things that God calls you and me to do. Now, if there's any of us still struggling with this a little bit, 
the only illustration I could think of was this. Jesus said, follow me, not I will follow you. Didn't say I will follow you, he said follow me. It's obvious, but it's actually not how many of us behave. We're rather hoping that Jesus will follow us. And he'll do what we want him to do rather than doing what he wants to do. My point tonight is this, that if Jesus says, follow me, he doesn't then enforce that upon us against our wills. There has to be something inside of us that says, yes, Lord, I will follow you wherever you lead, whatever you say. You're the Lord of my life. I want to do your will. Some illustrations from the Gospels, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Look at this, and immediately they moved. That's what they did. He said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, and immediately they left their nets and they followed him. They would never be followers of Jesus if at that moment they didn't say, I'm going to make some moves. I'm going to leave things behind. I'm going to follow. It's what you and I call to be. Christians are followers of Jesus. That's what we are. When he says, come, we follow. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So we're doing things. We're denying ourselves. We're taking up our cross. We're following him. We're making moves. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Jesus is having conversations with people. And uh, this is a whole sermon in itself, so I'll just read it and then not preach about it. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus describes himself as the shepherd and we are his sheep. And in John chapter 10 verse 4 he says, when he brought out his own, that's you and me, the sheep that belong to him, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So if you look at a shepherd in the Middle East, for example, even today, you'll find he's always walking with the sheep following him. It's not like in this country we're in a big kind of truck and you herd them all up with a load of dogs going yap, yap, yap. This is just the shepherd just gets up and he walks and the sheep all get up and they begin to follow him because they know his voice. They make moves. He moves, they move. They don't just sit there thinking, well, he's gone now, it doesn't really matter. You know, he's sovereign. He'll be back sometime. (laughs) We'll just stay here for another year. No, 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 no. You get up and you go. And this is really powerful. Look at this. John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, says Jesus, he must make moves. He must follow me. 
And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. It's important that you understand that when Jesus says, where I am, there will my servant be also, can only happen is when Jesus moves, you move with him. John, would you like to come up and help me with an illustration? I'm the shepherd. He's the sheep. Guy did it with earlier, then did an impersonation of a sheep. But that doesn't matter if you do it. No, no, I don't think you do what you to do. And um, I'm the master, you're my servant. So, I think he's getting this, he's theologically minded. So if I start to move over here, he's going to move with me because... He's sheep, I'm shepherd, he's following me. If I was to sort of speed up, I'm really hoping, well, it's a bit slow actually, this one. It's a bit of a dumb sheep. But anyway, he's following me. But if I stop suddenly and have a conversation with him, which God sometimes seems to do, you can't move ahead of me and there's no point you going back. You've got to stay here because he's my servant, I'm his master. I'm the shepherd, he's a sheep. We might have a chat. How are you doing, Johnny? It's all right. He's got a really nice haircut this time around. And, uh, you know, all that sort of thing. We might have a conversation about things. But then in a moment, I might start to move off again. And he just keeps on following. Because he wants to. Because where I am, there he needs. It's a bit creepy. Where I am, there he is behind me. You can sit down. Give him a big hand for that illustration. trouble I have with it is this sometimes we say Jesus I'm really in trouble and I've really got a mess today that I'd like you to sort out and don't forget Jesus that on Wednesday I've got a job interview and I really love you to be there with me and could you just wangle it so I can get this job and don't forget that next Saturday I'm speaking at something and I really want you to turn up and don't forget I've got that problem that needs to be sorted at some And when you start to think about it, what happens is this. It's kind of like Jesus is a little servant kind of moving around. Okay, what was that you said on Thursday? Right, we'll try and sort that out, okay? And you wanted me to answer what prayer? Oh, that one, okay. And then over here, you're having a job interview. So the whole thing's round the wrong way. Because the reality is he's not there to follow me. I'm there to follow him. What I want to really grasp tonight, us to grasp tonight, is that Jesus is moving. I think he's always on the move. And if you and I are stuck, it's because there came a moment when we didn't follow him. So it's wonderful that God is speaking to us as a church, corporately and individually, and saying things to us. Here's the challenge, what will we do? Will we passively wait or will we begin to truly follow him? The early disciples only became followers of Jesus because they make moves. We are called to do exactly the same. Apart from two years of my life, I have fundamentally lived in London the whole of my life. I may live here for the rest of my life. And yet, in all honesty, I feel like I've been on the move the whole time. 
It is possible for you to live your entire life in the same place and always keep moving. Why? Because Jesus is always moving. And today is another day, and then it's another month, and it's another year. And I never feel like I'm stuck in London. Worse still, southeast London. <laughs> well, you know, if God, if Jesus moves and says, I want, I'm calling you to go to another nation, or to another town, or to another area, you better get up and go. But if he's still saying to you, stay where you are, it doesn't mean that you stagnate but that you keep on moving and you keep on responding to God in his mercy. Now, <clears throat> I have a few illustrations that I'd love to just quickly share with you um, that describe biblical ways in which people respond. Guys on the PA, can you just stick these things up? If you can, please. There's a whole load of them. You can put them all down there because I'm not sure which ones I'm going to cover. Um, these are slightly random, but I, what I'd like to do is go see if I can get through all of them as quickly as possible by not looking at my notes. <laughs> that will help me. So these are examples of where we make moves, where we don't stay passive and just wait for God to do something. So faith is a classic example whereby the Bible is full of men and women who heard promises that God made. Hebrews chapter 11 is full of them, by faith, by faith, by faith. <clears throat> the only difference between all the people in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and people like me is that they heard something and they made a move. God spoke to Noah and said, build an ark. It's not, the next verse doesn't say, and verily he raised his hands and received an ark from heaven <laughs> by faith. It says he cut down trees. He made a boat when everyone was laughing at him. And he did it by faith. Noah made a move. Abraham made a move. The people of Israel, when they came before the Red Sea, what are they going to do? They're going to have to walk. Everyone's making a move. Homework for this week. Just read through Hebrews 11 as a backup to what I'm saying. And you'll be convinced that this is all about very ordinary people like you and me who heard God speak and then made moves by faith. The gospel's full of this. The woman who reached out to touch Jesus. Remember that story in the crowd. What's she doing? She's making a move. She's thinking, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I might be healed. It's wonderful. Do you remember the four guys who, who came and left you know, they, they lowered their friend down through the ceiling. Can you imagine being in that meeting? Jesus is preaching. He's just carrying on and then the dust comes and the dirt comes because they were horrible roofs. And I don't think there was anyone looking at Jesus. I think they were all looking up at the ceiling. <clears throat> and Jesus commends them for their faith. They really break down a ceiling to get to him. And so often Jesus says to people following him, your faith has made you well. This is the God who could easily heal, but wants to see people make moves and responses. Can I ask you tonight, are you living a life which is so ordered, nothing actually ever happens very much, because you don't have to live by faith? In order for you to make moves, some of us need to step out of our comfort zone, and we need to start 
to see God doing things. It's a classic example of the need to make moves. If you want to walk on the water, you have to get out of the boat. The trouble is a lot of us don't ever get to walk on the water (laughs) because we find the boat is a place of safety. But faith just opens up that whole thing. Number two, that was quite quick. Grace that overwhelms. What do I mean by this? I just mean simply that if you have experienced the grace of God, I don't, I don't understand how you can stay passive. You have to do something. And we all know that when you do something as a result of grace, please, I hope you do know this, you don't gain favour. You don't do it so that God loves you more. He already loves you totally. But something inside of you wants to respond. I get very nervous of people, Christians, whose understanding of grace is, well, you don't do anything. Because that would be legalistic. And we just be who we are. And we just love Jesus. We don't do things. We just do this. Loving him. And they're frightened and nervous. I don't know which Bible they're reading. But my Bible doesn't let you off that easily. When you see the grace of God and you're so overwhelmed, you make moves. When his compassion has come to you, guess what? You give your compassion to other people. There are things you do as a result of the grace of God. There are moves that you and I need to make. Can I say this? There are also things we don't do because the grace of God has come. Some people think grace is just do what you like. Jesus will forgive you anyway. The Bible very clearly says grace teaches us to say no to certain things. So the grace of God means that I make moves as a result of all that he says. Here's the third thing, an authentic devotional life. What I mean by that is we make moves that help our devotional life, our walk with God, practicing the presence of God, become a reality because we make certain moves. It's so easy for your own devotional life with Jesus to become dry, ritualistic, lifeless, this is going to sound from a, someone like me a bit strange, don't you say these sort of things, but I think you can do something about this. I think you don't have to stay with a devotional life that just feels stuck and lifeless. I think there are moves that we can make. I'll give you three of them. One, involve the Holy Spirit. Every time... Your first move, this is you moving, is to say, Holy Spirit, will you help me? Will you fill me? Would you help me with my worship and my praying and my reading of your word? Every time I do that, I'm making the first move. And guess what? He floods me and fills me and changes dramatically my devotional life. Second thing is be creative. If you're stuck in a rut doing the same things every day, ritualistically, you need to be creative to keep the whole thing alive. Do stuff that's different. <clears throat> I've been reading through Hebrews <clears throat> since the beginning of Christmas. Where are we now? February the whatever it is, 18th. This is a long journey I've been on and I'm still only halfway through. And the reason is I've decided to get a journal and write down things I felt God was saying to me through reading Hebrews. I've read Hebrews hundreds of times before. This time it's a bit different. Why? Because I've been a bit more creative. I said, Lord, I'm going to take my time. And Hebrews is a difficult book sometimes to understand, but it's absolutely living in my heart day after day. I'm having a blast in Hebrews. It's great. 
And then praying for people. Well, I have a little prayer list and I change it a lot and pray for different people because I forget who to pray for and write it down again. Be creative. Go for a walk. Get up early. Go late at night. Find a friend who prays better than you do. Pray with them for a while. It might just help you a little bit loosen the whole thing. Do you get my point? And thirdly, we really do need to practice the presence of God. John chapter 15, it's well known. Jesus says constantly through these four verses, verses four to seven, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. If my words abide in you, then you will abide in me. It has the word, there it is up there, it has the word if written all over it. It's an interesting thing, it's an invitation for you to make a move. This passage is about movement. It's a passage that says, every day I wake up, I make a decision. I'm not going to rely on my own strength. I'm going to rely on you. You do not become fruitful because you're a Christian. You become fruitful because you're a Christian who chooses to abide in the vine. And those two things are completely different. You say, Why am I not bearing more fruit? The answer is you're not abiding. It's a choice that you make. It's a move that you make. So that's my illustration in terms of whatever point that was. All right, there. Number four, quickly, corporate worship that's not passive. I think too many of us come into worship thinking, if God does something, then I'll really worship. It's the wrong way around. When it comes to worship, you make the first moves every time, not God. Why am I not getting anything out of worship? Well, it's because you're passively waiting for God to do something where actually he's waiting for you. So the Bible's very clear, Psalm 100. Just, Just knock it up there, guys. There it is. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It's he who made us. We are his. We are his people. The sheep is pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so it goes on. The Bible's full of exhortations about you and I worshipping God, but we make the first move every time. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Nothing's happened yet. But there's all this stuff going on because we're coming into the presence of God with expectation. Here's what the Bible says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Have you got the point I'm trying to say tonight? Who makes the first move on that one? God says to us, draw near to me, then I will draw near to you. It's so important that we understand that worship is never supposed to be passive. Number five, gifts of the spirit in our comfort zone. We're nearly there, we're nearly done. It uh, always, always, always involves you making the first move if you want to move in the gifts of the spirit. Always. Bible says earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So what happens with this is that you will never use a spiritual gift unless you desire it and then you have to speak. And it's as you speak that the gift begins to work and the blessing and the miracles and everything else that might happen as a result come from that moment where you get out of your comfort zone and you move forward. So a friend of mine last year said to me, all the gifts of the Spirit have dried up. Um, I never move in the gifts of the Spirit at the moment. And I said, well, that's your fault. I'm very pastoral when it comes to things like this. He just looked at me, what? I said, it's your fault. You can't blame God that it's all dried up. 
what have you done? He said, well, I, and then, he, then we had this great conversation. He said, well, I've stopped doing this and I've stopped doing that. Well, I'll start doing it. So Paul says to Timothy, who I think was the same as my friend, but Timothy's pastoring a church of multi-thousands of people. Should know better. And God just speaks to him through, the, through Paul writing to him. 2 Timothy 1.6, for this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You do it. You fan it into flame and it begins to happen. Finally, board with church. So I'm saying we can make moves by faith, by grace overwhelming us. We make moves to make our devotional life come to life. We, we don't come into worship thinking, what can I get out of it? We come giving to it. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit happen when we get out of our comfort zone and go on a limb and speak and finally bored with church are you allowed to say that in meetings in church I mean I don't know but we've said it anyway I think a lot of people are bored in church meetings and I think a lot of people are bored in church so you come to a new community you're just going about some of you are going to do DNA with James and Hannah if they all paint a picture you would think there's no church like this on earth I'm so glad I've come here they'll slip in a few things like this is not perfect because you're now joining us and things like that but the reality is and he's here and the reality is that church just becomes boring um, not just the meetings but the community I used to like these people and then I got to know them. And they're actually rather boring and rather samey. So what's the answer? Surely the answer is, let's spice up church a bit for you. Let's do a few things that really make it exciting. No, I don't think so. Church becomes less boring when you're not waiting for it to change. But you make the change. You decide you're going to do something about it. And the most important way is this. Don't be a Sunday attending Christian. Join up. Be part of the community. Every week you'll hear us saying things like serve, volunteer, get connected, join a community. Relationships are important. Accountability is important. Discipleship is important. Do you know the most frustrating thing about all of this is none of us can make you respond to any of that. You have to do it yourself. We don't want to make people respond, but what we're, we're longing for you to understand is that church becomes something exciting when you are vitally involved in it and you own it. This church will never work. We'll never get to the vision prophetically that God has spoken to us about of multiplication if there's just an exhausted nucleus of people doing everything. It must result in every person that's a member playing their part. And forget boredom. You'll find it so exciting. There'll still be meetings which are a bit and didn't happen. Doesn't matter. When you own something, you're involved in it. And I think some of you tonight need to make some moves. It's really time to make a move. Not just through these things, but you can think of other things. Let's stand to our feet.